2: Hello plant people how are you guys doing today if you're new around here my name is Ashley and I'm a soul scientist on this channel I like to take that science and apply it to all things plants and in today's video is my solicited unsolicited advice on Jess from roots and refuges soil situation. so this was brought to my attention by several of you guys via Instagram YouTube name it saying I needed to watch Jess's last two videos because she's having a soil issue and they thought I'd be interested in watching it all the way to, I'm having something very similar to this, what the heck is going on? And her first video, she kind of just shows the issue um, and how it's represented in the plants. And then her second video, she goes into a bit of a rant about how she's upset with the direction the industry in particular soil industry is going and it's I mean, completely justified. Gardeners of that scale in particular put a ton of time, but money into gardens. So for it to do what it did is incredibly frustrating. Um, and I don't blame her at all for getting upset, but we're gonna go over kind of a little bit on ways she can or you can, in um, if you're suffering from the same issues claim it in less than the five years that she's concerned it will take her to potentially turn this around and she's doing a really good thing by not simply just ripping all that soil out and then replacing it with something new so when I initially watched the first rant video she essentially said in there that the soil was damaged um, it was contaminated by grazon in particular amino and um, which is a persistent herbicide. It's different than a roundup glyphosate type thing Which is not a persistent pesticide um, her, or herbicide Sorry. and so She was she, she believes it's this scratch which it I mean very likely could be we'll talk about what else it could be But I'm thinking she's probably leaning in, in the correct direction. It's some form of broadly desiccant um, the only reason I don't necessarily think it's graxin um, in particular is because Gryzen has like, she's cucumbers and stuff that are fine, which makes me lean toward it potentially being like a chemical industry surfactant more so that's used for decomposing and helping with water penetration and compost. But anyways, so with her issue, she's not using just soil. And this was one of the initial things that I was a little bit confused by because I watched the last video first and she was saying that this was imported soil etc and so forth and so I initially thought to myself well where the heck did she get that soil from because soil naturally even if it is contaminated doesn't hold on to herbicides in that way it's much different and then I began to think well no she's got the cardboard laid down this is probably like a no dig full-blown compost setup, which many of you, if you've been on this channel, know I'm not a huge advocate for. It's okay if you do it. I mean, just plant the garden. I don't care how you do it. It's just not the method that I like. And we're actually running an experiment over on Mind and Soil's YouTube channel where we are going from a no-dig compost garden to a soil garden um, just to see how it affects some things because his soil tests, which are Essentially, soilless test. If you're using straight compost, you're not working with soil at that point. Um, we're showing very bizarre values in micronutrients, um, macronutrients, soil pH, organic matters, that sort of thing. So um, she is, for all intents and purposes, growing in a soilless medium. She's growing in straight compost, and she brought this in. She imported it in from somewhere in bags and the company's been made aware of the issue um they've reached out and they're going to help her reclaim it i think that the company from what i heard in the second video is on the right path but there are some other things that she tried to give a shot here so first off it could be this grazen or Graxin, whatever however you want to pronounce it um it could be the aminoprylate uh persistent herbicide in that compost that is the issue and that wouldn't surprise me because what happens is when prelates or persistent herbicides are sprayed onto a plant material and then that plant material is then composted it amplifies over time and i have an interview coming out fingers crossed next week where i am talking to a natural resource management Uh, professional from the uh, peat industry I interviewed him and in it I asked the question you know what about the big movement of gardening in straight compost and he said he always shies away from that and industries um, involved in food production on a large scale also will shy away from using straight compost and the reason for that is because there is a potential for amplification of any issues that may be there and now these may not be as severe as what maybe Jess is seeing but they can be on a smaller scale um, amplification of, say, a micronutrient for a plant that is a hyperaccumulator for something like zinc or copper or boron. And when we compost that in the wrong uh, ratios and we plant our plants in it and we plant something that's maybe sensitive to excess boron, we can end up with poor yields that we don't even realize we're having we'll blame it on the weather or poor watering or whatever the case is um or we can have something really severe where we're seeing this cupping or the shrinking of leaves and so that's why i always say at least a 50-50 mix if you can and that's what I prefer and that's what I advocate for people to do as well now with that being said there is potentially another cause for this and it could be chemical surfactants used in the composting process so when you look this up it's becoming more and more common actually oddly enough where chemicals are being used on compost to help with the decomposition process And this is because the demand for compost is really, really high right now um, between new gardeners and their setups to the explosion of no dig and the simplification of this that gardening way of doing things surfactants are becoming more and more popular there's lots of papers written on them and while there's no real known documented side effects it wouldn't shock me if there was for example jess is having a lot of problems with the nightshade family but not having any issues with her cucumbers or her squash or anything of life like that so it wouldn't shock me if there's a potential that there's some form of chemical surfactant that made its way into that compost that that company is using that has a negative effect on nightshades but doesn't have an effect on the cucumber plant which would be even more likely in jess's situation because apparently testing has been sent back to the lab and they're not able to test for any of these herbicides that they're suspecting is causing the issue which if you did not know Typically, when we test any sort of plant biomass, which is essentially what compost is, we're able to get accumulations of high anything. We can can tell what's in that. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And always, I've had this happen to me too, by the way, with compost, you need to pretest so since that day about five years ago um when i had contaminated compost i don't know what was in it it with some sort of persistent herbicide it took out in the nightshade family all i could grow in it was corn and that i was able to reclaim in about three years but since then i've only ever done pretest using peas or beans something that grows quick and is a broadleaf, and i will compare a control in straight peach or coconut coir whatever the case is soil against the compost grown ones and i want to make sure that my leaves everything is the same size everyone looks the same as long as it passed the pretest which i've mentioned in other videos then it gets put onto the garden until then it stays off the garden because like i said i've been burned by this before and it will take out an entire bed for a minimum of one year if not longer so if you've been on this channel long enough you know that basically any sort of pesticide or herbicide and because i've worked in this industry as well producing these things or not producing testing for the government of canada to see if they will meet the qualifications to be purchased by humans one of the things we've talked about is microbial degradation in particular the soils degradation over time so microbes in the soil will eat away at the compounds of pesticides and this is one of the factors that make it legal to apply them because they will degrade if they don't degrade they don't pass the smell test by the government basically so because they're biodegradable, there are ways that we can help the biodegradation process. So for example, we can add more compost that is not contaminated. We can add a wide manure of different composts such as manures of all different forms, um mushroom compost, vegetative compost, you name it. So that's one way to help increase the microbial activity. The second way would be through temperature. Now Jess's Automatically in a very warm climate Um, So she doesn't have to maybe necessarily do this but for some of us in a colder climate this could come in the form of Solarization not cooking of the soil, but just a warming up of the soil through solarization Um, It can also come in the form of mulching here once the soil gets a little bit warmer We mulch to help insulate the heat which will allow the degradation process to take um, place longer into the winter months. Um, the next method is going to be increasing soil moisture. So keeping that soil moisture 80 and above at all times is going 80% or above uh, field saturation is going to be the key to really helping the decomposition process microbes thrive on moisture so if we allow things to dry out every time that happens we slow down the microbial process we have to wait for those areas to maybe be recolonized depending on the type of microbe we're dealing with so just to help with that process and making a very happy healthy area for it using mulch and keeping water in that area is going to be key now the next method um isn't going to work for jess necessarily right now because from my understanding is she's going to continue to plant in that area um although i don't think she's going to get any yields off that plant so i just personally would rip those plants out and i would till but and i know this sounds terrifying um, for some people especially those of you that are doing a no-dig situation where you have the cardboard down and it looks all good um but the truth is that aeration and air being introduced into that area is going to amplify the microbial process so if she aerated it just with a pitchfork on the surface level and didn't touch the soil but just Uh, moved the compost in general that's going to help with air infiltration oxygen infiltration which microbes really like and it really gets them going this is why when we till we usually see really amplified growth that first year when we first lay down compost in a no dig system we really see rapid growth and it's because of that aeration um taking place but she can also do a method of aeration combined with dilution. So she could till that compost, remove the cardboard, and then till, or she could leave the cardboard in place, I mean, all intents and purposes, and then till that compost layer into the soil layer below. I'm not sure what kind of soil she has underneath that, but all in all, we're going to dilute pretty much in half, depending on the depth, we can get that road tiller too, but we can, you know, reduce that by half, use a dilution method with a soil combined with the oxygenation, plus the increased of different microbial capacities from different compost sources. And we're really gonna see some rapid degradation of whatever the heck is in that soil. So I did this personally with the garden that I was having issues with because I don't shy away from till. I don't really care to be honest. Um, And so what I did was I did my compost layer on top. So I actually tilled that in. Now that was in a raised bed at the time. So I did like a um, broad fork method of tilling where I shed the broad fork in and I really flipped it, like I did a total soil turnover and I really diluted it down to about 12 to 16 inches in depth with the soil I had beneath and I was able to reclaim that soil basically by the next year it was fine. Um, So that would be another method that you could give a try out and that one probably is going to be the most essential the most effective. So the second method, equally as effective to argue, um, actually all these would work. If you use these all in combination, Jess, if you're watching, I would I what you are. Um, I honestly think you could probably turn this whole train around within a year, max. I, I, but you'd have stuff growing in there within six months to a year because you're you have a continuous cropping situation where you are too, so you could really turn this around quick. Um, the next one is going to be cover cropping, but with the cover cropping method, you want to go for something with really high biomass. You want to go for something that is a hyper accumulator or a phyto reclaiming version of whatever you choose. Um, In your situation, because you're having issues with broad leaves, I would stick with a monocot variety. So whether this be rye grass or corn, something of that nature, um, wheat all these things will work. Sunflowers, while they sound like a good idea, may not grow as efficiently or as effectively in that soil. Not saying they won't, but they just may have to struggle a little bit um, because if it is a broadleaf desiccant issue, you don't wanna put dicots in or, or broadleaves in. You wanna stick with the monocot varieties. And then what you're gonna do is literally let that thing grow and you're going to water it and you're gonna treat it like it is the most expensive Exotic tomato plant you've ever had in your life. You're going to baby it and you want it to grow to excess Once that is completed you are going to want to cut down all the biomass um, Not what you normally would do with a, a cover crop where you would like fold it down and then solarize or kill it in that way um, You are going to cut it And then you're going to take all that biomass off your property and burn it, bury it, do whatever you have to, but you don't want to compost or do anything with it. You want to dispose of it. It is now considered reclamation, biohazardous waste. You just get rid of it and you can do this in between cropping seasons, but To be honest, right now with your situation, I would clear cut everything and then um, just start from scratch. And I would start with a a cover crop with a ton of upper biomass, just really cut it down. And I would talk to a local university and ask them for phytoreclaimers that are particularly um, predisposed to taking up whatever potential nutrient issue or chemical issue you're having. So there's lots of different uh, crops out there and there's lots of different studies that have been made but they'll know combination of your soil type with your zone what variety of plant is best so they will have probably a very specific variety of corn
3: that
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It would work for this application. Which brings me into my second point about cover cropping is if you could get like a micronutrient profile from the company that did the testing, if they're testing for micronutrients, there is a slight possibility that it has nothing to do with pesticides. It has something to do with an amplification of something that's a hyperaccumulator being composted into that. Uh, maybe something that has boron um, hyperaccumulation in it. For whatever reason, it just took up a bunch of boron or aluminum, whatever the case is, and was composted into that. Which, if that is the case, then you would just purchase and sow the plant that has a high affinity for boron and then use that as the cover crop and then destroy it obviously in that case but that's only if it's a micronutrient high bioavailability issue over a another issue which i mean your ph of your compost technically if it's you know alkaline or acidic could really you know amplify the bioavailability of something it's just all all things to think about and the reason i say that is because her pesticide tests are coming back with nothing there's no results on them which is odd to me which makes me think there's a potential that it's something else so i think the next point um, that i'm going to make she did mention that she's doing this and that is going to be biochar or charcoal preferably biochar so, the use of biochar we've talked about before, it has a really high cation exchange capacity. It has the ability to hyperaccumulate different forms of toxins and micronutrients, you name it. So, regardless of if it's a pesticide issue, or if it's a potential micronutrient amplification issue, or something in between like a surfactant issue. It won't matter <laughs> because the biochar is just going to neutralize everything now in an ideal world you'd have a way of removing the biochar um, and I haven't really seen any studies or experiments when it comes to reclamation on removable biochar sources uh, whether that would be in the form of like a PVC pipe with like holes drilled through it filled with biochar that then would allow water-soluble contaminants to then go into the biochar so it can be removed from the soil I mean there's many different ways you could try to make a removable um, biochar contaminant because ideally it just would be entirely removed from the soil. so what the biochar will do is it will sequester the toxin or the issue but it won't remove it so it's always gonna be there um, and then theoretically over time when the biochar decomposes it, it could be released but I mean I've also been to soil forestry sites where we've dug down, and uh, done soil profile digs, and there's biochar from a forest fire from 110 years ago. Just to put that into perspective, this stuff just doesn't simply decompose incredibly easily. So, I mean, it's up to you. And the last one is organics, organics, organics. Now, this is just kind of a combination of all of the above um, points from increasing microbial densities um, diversities increasing water holding capacity just dilution of the whole system taking a poor um compost and mixing it with a bad a good compost naturally will dilute the system so maybe the intensity of the product present won't be as high um and then just Overall, being able to plant in a zone above a potential other organic stores along with cation exchange capacity increases, you name it, you name it, you name it. I mean, the list goes on and on. So if you used all these things in combination, you'll be able to come back from contaminated soil or bad soil or poor soil. Um, but keep in mind, you're not growing in soil at this point. You're growing in a soilless medium essentially is what's happening. So incorporating it into a soil that naturally is a buffer is really going to help with this. Um, Just in general. This is why plant in soil, personally, is what I enjoy. I know how to manage it. There's no curveballs with soil. It just does its thing in my opinion, but yeah, you can come back from it. It's possible. I've, I've come back from it, but I've had the same thing happen to me as well. It's incredibly upsetting. So I totally understand the fact that she didn't cry in that video is shocking because when it happened to me, I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> Cause it literally took out 24 tomatoes on like, and that was like one of my primary beds. Anyways, long story short, it's an absolute pain in the butt. It's absolutely heartbreaking, but it's really quick and easy to turn around. Organic material, diversity in microbes, feed them microbes. Now, if you want to feed the microbes, I would do like compost teas, algae, fertilizers, molasses, honey, you name it, mix it all in, it's all good. Um, All these things are going to feed the microbes and you'd be shocked at how quickly they can decompose some of this stuff. Aeration is gonna be key. Um, Getting a carbon source such as charcoal or biochar in there is gonna help immensely along with cover cropping. Actually, phytoremediating that soil is gonna be huge. But I want to thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you for everyone who reached out asking what the heck to do because you've encountered the same thing. If you're a new gardener, please do the test. (laughs) Do the litmus test. I've discussed this on several videos before. Do the test. It'll save you time and money and frustration, uh, to say the least. And if you have cupping, spindly leaves, anything like that, this is a sign that you're potentially having this issue. Anyways, I want to thank you guys for watching and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye!